Welcome to the Tash Show Podcast. And we welcome Dr. Detective Mike Artfield to the show. Professor, got to throw that one in there as well. He's a professor at the University of Western Ontario and an expert on serial killers. He's also an author. He wrote the book Murder City about uh, crimes that were committed over the years in the London area. Mike, good to have you back on the Taz Show. How you doing? Good. Always good to be on. Thanks for having me on. Are you uh, you working on any new books or TV shows? Uh working on a new TV show in the U.S. right now, and actually uh, the third in the series of the month of the Murder City series, Monster City, about uh, Nashville, um, and uh, True Crime in Nashville comes out on Tuesday after the long weekend, so yeah. Oh, right on. Well, we look forward to reading that one. Uh, we wanted to get you on because found this very fascinating. Yesterday, the London police had a press conference about a cold case from 1988, and they've used some new technology to come across a new lead. Tell us about the murder case from 1988 in the Interkip area. Well, first, I think it was actually the OPP that had the press conference about London Police, and because it's an OPP case, what happened was right. the, the, the murder in 1988. Uh, it was a, an elderly uh, widow uh, in a case that actually bears a number of similarities to one from July 1975 discussed in Murder City and Strathroy of Irene Gibbons. And, and I say that because... It's rare for what happened in both cases uh, to occur, especially in small-town Ontario, which is an old woman that lives alone and someone somehow gains entry to the house, uh, it seems without their knowledge or consent, and then proceeds to, to strangle them. And the difference in the case in Interkip is, of course, uh, the DNA was left behind. And uh, it's that DNA that has allowed for this for this new lead that you just heard about yesterday. And I don't think a lot of people, certainly in this area, have seen that technology used before. No, the, the victim in this case, Thera Dealman, uh, they're looking for justice. And yesterday, the, the OPP were able to put out composite uh, mug shots, basically, of a suspect. Now, so they used the DNA that was found at the scene to figure out what this guy probably looked like, or to get a general idea of what the suspect in this case would have looked like. Exactly. Um, so I, I guess in simplest terms, you have a genotype. Everyone has a genotype, which is your, your genetic traits and, and your DNA makeup. But that then has what's called a phenotype, which is the physical expression of, the, of, that, of those genes. So this is called DNA phenotyping or DNA snapshotting. And what happens is you can basically reverse engineer a person's traits, eye color, hair color, um, sort of some, some basic sort of ancestral features as well, based on what their genetic code is. The issue with that is you're sort of guessing in terms of whether they kept their natural hair color, how they wore their hair, um, for instance, uh, if they wore glasses or not. So, so these things uh, are still sort of left to the imagination, but at least you have a start. But and, and how accurate is this? Have you seen, like, have they done this with living people where they take DNA and they give it to the, the person doing the analysis and get them to draw up a picture of that person that it, it is a fairly close match? We don't know how close a match it is yet, and, and this is really not that new technology. It's been around for almost six years. It was first used in a, in a case publicly in South Carolina in 2014. It was used by the Windsor Police, actually, in a case in 2016. 
And until now, there's not been an arrest um, as a result of, of these DNA phenotypes being made public. There was an arrest in an Indiana case where they, they phenotyped this guy. And the arrest actually came through the um, forensic genealogy, the same stuff used to catch the Golden State Killer, not the, the not the sketch. And he was caught through basically one of these ancestry sites. So there's a there's a, a number of unsolved cases where these images are floating around, and they're good to get people calling in. And at least it rules out if you thought, for instance, uh, it was someone like in this case a, a blonde haired. Uh, 50 year old like you could probably rule that out like that tip could automatically be screened out now based on the fact that genetically just doesn't match although again Mm -hmm. you can't rule out people will alter their appearance especially known offense that's crazy so just from the dna you can figure out the age of the person as well they're estimating the age in part no they're estimating the age in part we know and this is sort of uh profiling 101 that offenders who uh, commit these types of crimes tend to be on the younger spectrum, especially those targeting elderly female victims. So they're going on the the, the probability that he was in his late teens to, to mid-20s at the time. So then you can see that what they did was they age enhanced to show you what this person would look like now, much like you see with regular composite drawing or other forensic art. Yeah, we have the composite drawings up on uh, the 980 CFPL website if you want to check them out. Everyone should, because who knows? It may look like the guy who lives next door to you. Yeah. And there's nothing I love more than people who think they've gotten away with it getting caught, right? Yeah. Yeah. You see it on TV every once in a while. A guy's living his life and then gets busted, and it's amazing. Yeah, that's that's why we do this, right? Yeah. Everyone should look. It's crazy the technology that you have now. Like, if you could have all these detectives who work in these cases back in the 80s or 70s and have these cases represented to them now, and just, I mean, it's not easy now, but you have so many more tools available to try and catch these people. You do, but you know what the, the frightening thing is, and there's a graph that uh, I can send you and you can put that up too, and maybe people don't want to know this, is even with all these new technologies, the result is, I think, prevention because there's fewer murders now. But we actually catch fewer of those of those killers per capita. The solved, the solved rate has gone down consistently since 1965, especially in the U.S. It's been up and down in Canada, but uh, last year the solved rate was at its lowest in recorded history in the U.S. Do you think that's because there's so much evidence now that is needed to convict somebody uh, compared to years ago? You could catch somebody, and basically, if you wanted them to be guilty, you could make them guilty. You know what I'm saying? These aren't even convictions. These are just suspects being identified or arrests being made. Never mind convictions. You're talking even lower. You're talking in the U.S. 25, 30 percent, which is seven of 10 suspected killers or known killers still walking around. So, wow. uh, no, there's a few explanations, a lot of which are complicated. <laughs> All to get of us into. are looking at each other now like there's three of us in the room. One of us has got to be a murderer. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike. Devin Peacock. That's seven in 10 killers, not seven in 10 people. Don't get easy now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that's. So, Wild. Is it because people are watching TV and they know how to cover their tracks now? That's one theory. That's one theory. Another theory is that while it may be also harder to prosecute people successfully, uh, investigators are also down more reluctant unless they've got that DNA that proves that the chance in it was you know it was a one in twenty billion chance or something infinitesimal that it was this person that they're reluctant to make an arrest because we've come to that point. And the third theory, and it's the most frightening, is that. 
there are just fewer usual suspects, which basically means that there are more strangers killing strangers than previously thought would yield no clues uh, you know, during that first 48. And, and certainly, look at the Chicago news, you know, where you have 72 people being shot randomly in a weekend and uh, 30 of them killed. And it's not hard to see how, how the numbers have gotten out of control. Well, now this technology with the DNA and, and getting the composite sketch uh, from the DNA, is it something that would be very expensive to do? It's pretty expensive, depending on the quality of the sample. They have uh, sort of a baseline price, and there is a Canadian competitor I mentioned to you before in, in Guelph. They use, in this case, Parabon, which is in uh, Virginia near where the FBI labs are, uh, and they've done most of the high-profile ones. But uh, it is becoming more uh, standard, and as there, again, as there's market competition, like in all industries, you're going to have greater... Uh, differences in price and more options. So I think you're going to see this as a as a regular investigative step in, in most cold cases moving forward. At least I hope so. And that's I'm not sure why they chose this case of all cases. I mean, it's an important case. They all are, but I mean, there's, there's a number of, of very horrific cases: child killings, serial killings. That there's DNA on file, and, and I hope they do the same thing with those profiles. Okay, thanks for uh, scaring the hell out of all of us, Mike. We appreciate you coming on this morning. <laughs> Anytime, <Ty. laughs> Professor Mike Arnfield. The new book comes out next week. What's the name of it again? Monster City, which is the third in the series of the Murder City, which started here in London, the first book. Yeah, we'll read the book and we'll get you on to talk about it. Mike Arnfield, thanks for coming on the Taz Show. You bet. We got to give a Tasmania kudos out to whoever wrote this <laughs> this Kijiji ad that was sent to us Kudos. from one of our listeners who says, hey, I was looking for a couch on Kijiji, and I found this ad. I thought you guys might want to read it on the air. Yeah, it's uh, the title of it, is, it says, come get my couch, $100, and it's one of those uh, couches that has the lounge part on the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so see. it's a nice-looking couch. You should buy that, dude. 100 bucks Seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah. So in the description, <laughs> come get my couch, $100. It says, couch from Temperaments. Looks just like that picture, except that it's two years old. No rips, no stains. Wife and her damn book club friends from work broke the frame a little bit, so I put the screws back to it to firm it up. And it's good to go. It's ideal for a family room or man cave. Getting rid of it because the wife always hated it, apparently. When we bought it, she suggested that it was an acceptable compromise, but she always harbored ill will towards the couch and me. And now she has manipulated me into buying a new one, which she tells me just now is ready to be delivered. So it goes into the, into the garage until you come get it. Come and get it so we can put this dark chapter behind us. <laughs> <laughs> this guy and his wife, they're, they're shopping for a new couch. She wanted one couch. He wanted another couch. This is the couch they settled on. And then the wife just was biding her time and waiting until she could get the couch she actually wanted. I got a conspiracy. Her damn book club friends, I bet you they purposely were jumping on it to break the frame. <laughs> yeah, how does a book club break like what was it the, during while well, they were reading 50 shades of gray or something like what book are you reading <laughs> where you can break the frame of a couch <laughs> maybe a stephen king scare yeah i don't know jump scare i don't know maybe uh maybe there's a weight issue there <laughs> Damn. i wasn't going to say it <laughs> 
It's just a heavy book club. Or a lot of members. It doesn't... It, One or the other. Right. They just had too many people sitting on the couch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People sitting on each other's laps. It's not a single, not one single person had too much weight on right. them. Right. The couch was overweight. It's like when you get in the elevator and you cram 20 people in there, suddenly you're overweight. Well, the lounge area is clearly the, like, the go-to spot. So maybe you have people just fighting over it and they get a little rough housing when they're reading. Sure. What kind of dev, what kind of book club meetings do you think you're going to? I don't understand either. Playful fighting? The book club. Somebody somebody was doing something there. It is suspicious <laughs> that the book club broke the couch. But this guy fixed it and it's ready to go. Hundred bucks. <laughs> Looks like a pretty good couch. And I guess the moral of the story is just let your wife do whatever she wants. <laughs> don't try to compromise. Cause eventually it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, bud. You just bought two couches in two years for no reason. The Tash Show Podcast. I'm excited about this. London City Council approves the Adelaide Street underpass. So the train that goes across Adelaide Street just south of Oxford, there's now going to be an underpass underneath there. Well, potentially. Like, How close is this to becoming a reality now, Devin? Unless something crazy happens, this is a virtual... Uh, you know, guarantee. That's amazing. Basically, they have to do the environmental assessment process and they have to go along. But really, the only issue here is when they start it, not if. The design has uh, received, like it was unanimous approval at the committee level. It was unanimous approval by city council last night. They have, they want to do this so badly, they've bumped it up by about 10 to 15 years. So this was supposed to, wasn't supposed to happen until around 2030 or so. They're now looking at starting it in 2021. That's for anyone who's ever been stuck sitting at a train on Adelaide during rush hour. I literally lived a block away from there, and it would happen every day, twice a day, and it was a nightmare. It's crazy, isn't it? Oh my God, I'd be backed up to Dundas. Well, here's here's the thing. I've been saying that we should do this for, I'm not taking credit for it, and a lot of Londoners have been saying we should do this forever, but I didn't see how much it was going to cost when I was saying <laughs> When I was saying that, $58.3 million is what it's going to cost to build that underpass. Underpasses, and they have, you can have an overpass as well. They aren't cheap. I wonder how many people will complain, because this is a constant complaint. But like you said, you see $53 million. It is kind of shocking. Yeah. But, it, you know, if we're complaining, we got to deal with it. Well, the the like we're, we're always in London talking about moving the rail lines out of the city, right? That just is just so like that's like you're talking in billion dollar territory. So you can't have an underpass and an overpass all along those routes because there's some areas like uh, on Richmond near Oxford, it's just too narrow to do that. Yeah. Or you could, you'd have, but you'd have to knock down a bunch of buildings. So you don't want to do that. But if you do it in enough places, you can reduce. The amount of stops within the city. Adelaide's going to become the go-to. Like, who would go down at Richmond unless yeah. they had to once they build this underpass? Well, a big part of this, too, is for uh, BRT. So they want to have this done in time for when, assuming BRT goes ahead and we'll see what happens with the municipal election, but they want to have this in place for the BRT buses when that once that system is up and running. The Adelaide Street underpass has been approved Traffic will be running smoothly. This will fix all our traffic problems in the city of London in the next couple of years. We're joined by Devin Peacock. Who? Oh, sorry. We are joined by 
rapper Young BMT. <laughs> or, <laughs> that's the acronym. It's Young Bigger Meteor Tastier. <laughs> we, we figured out our rap names yesterday using this meme. And at that time, the last thing Devin Peacock had bought, which is what you use after the word young, was a BMT sub from Subway. I, after talking about I had never heard of the BMT, um, but after talking about it yesterday, I had to go do some research over there. Uh, we had a listener call in tell us it was the sub of the day on Tuesday, and I went and got a six-inch. Pretty good. Pretty good sandwich. Yeah. A lot of different meats on there. Pepperoni, salami, and ham. Lots of variety. Huh. So the it, BMT pretty good sandwich, is BMT a pretty good rapper? That's is the, the question. question. <laughs> I mean, do we even need to <laughs> ask? Dev, we were going to debut your, your first single, Young BMT, sorry. We were going to debut your first single yesterday on the show. But we ran out of time because we, we got that big breaking news story about the school buses and how they're going to be running on Tuesday, which is great news for parents and, and students and bus drivers. But uh, you, you have it now ready to go. What is the name of the single? BMT. <laughs> Okay, so this is like your your title track. Is Absolutely. this all about the sandwich? <laughs> maybe so. it is, and maybe it is. Are you rapping about the sandwich here? Okay, here is Young, Bigger, Meatier, Tastier on FM 96. Uh. <laughs> you know me as Devin P. I'd rather you call me Young BMT. I see you looking at me hungrily. Want to take a big bite of me? It's lunchtime and you figure you want something bigger. Sorry, vegans. I'm meatier. Sorry, vegetarians. I'm tastier. I don't mean to trigger, but there's no way you're not going to Subway when all the other food is greasier. Yeah, you know me. Young BMT. You gotta line up to see me. Unless you wanna get roasted, you order me toasted. Do that, you'll be devoted. Oh! <laughs> what? what? Mm. Uh, the notorious BMT! Licking my lips. I like how a lot of rappers, they go, they make their voice go lower to be more intimidated. It's like, yo, I'm walking in the club. Uh. Dev's like, hey! I'm mad at me. And I'm a tasty treat. <laughs> I'll get roasted, sir. You gotta get me toasted. But the angry face that he has when he raps. Like Furrowed he, brow. Yeah, you really took this this assignment seriously, Devin. Thank you for that. Who's Devin? <laughs> and Subway better be sending you some, at the very least, some free BMT coupons. <laughs> but I have a feeling there's going to be a spike in the sales of that sandwich today here in London, Ontario. Yeah. Young BMT, a real sandwich artist. <laughs> this is the Tash Show Podcast. Tinder nightmares. We've, we've all heard about people having terrible dates mm -hmm. on Tinder. This guy's taking it to the next level. It's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty creative scam. I don't want to give the guy too much credit because there, it's not a victimless crime here. But a guy in California, Pasadena, 45 years old, his name is Paul Guadalupe Gonzalez. He would meet women on dating apps, go on dates with them to really nice restaurants, and 
once he was finished eating, he'd excuse himself to go to the bathroom, and he'd never come back. <laughs> what? An ass. They know he did it at least 10 times wow. between uh, May 2016 and April of this year. Eight of those times, the women covered the bill. The restaurants handled the other two. Kudos to those restaurants for stepping up. The lady, <laughs> I'm on a Tinder date. The guy left. We'll take care of the bill. That's pretty generous. Wow. Well, cops finally tracked him down in July. He was arrested on Saturday. And he's now facing 13 years in prison. 13 years. I guess he was going to some really nice restaurants. <laughs> he's facing 10 felony charges for extortion and grand theft. What? Okay. Do the police have nothing better to do? I mean, this guy's obviously a jerk taking advantage of women. He's a douche. But 13. Carlo Homoka went to prison for 12 years. Yeah. Ten felony charges for extortion and grand theft. So he's stealing some pretty expensive meals if he's got grand theft. And the the extortion, I guess, because he was forcing these women to pay for him to have these meals. And they were kind of held hostage in the restaurant until they paid, I guess. <laughs> that is... Yeah, one of those things you didn't really think through. Sounded like a great plan on paper, though. I just can't picture the police trying to crack this case, though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, put how much effort they must have put in. Well, you just make a fake Tinder profile. <laughs> Say you love eating at expensive restaurants in the Pasadena area. <laughs> exactly. How hard could it be? Is this, I'm sure there's some guys out there who hear this and they think that this dude's like Robin Hood. Yeah. Like Tinder Robin Hood. I've been on so many bad dates where I've picked up the bill. It's about time. How come the man always has to pay? Well, because if you don't, you're going to prison for 13 <laughs> years, apparently. Hey, I just want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Taz Show podcast. If you want more, subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. All the podcast places.